All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. All right. It's good to see uh, a few faces that haven't seen for a while in this building. And uh, it's also good to, uh, to be back after, like Mary mentioned, a week of Jericho and all the things that God has been up to and God has been doing. Uh, in some ways, it's a little bit of a struggle even trying to figure out where to start this morning. I feel like we are coming out of one of the best conferences that, that we've ever had here as a church with this last uh, 2020 Jericho conference. And I know that uh, not everybody here and not everybody watching for sure was able to, to make it. But as far as Jericho, it always seems to realign us as a church. I know for me, it seems to realign my life and get me focused and to bring some things uh, back into focus, um, to prioritize and to just uh, a way of looking at my life, a way of looking at my family, a way of looking at uh, the church and the things of God. So I always just feel so blessed uh, when that, that time of the year comes around. You know, we, we serve the God that, that created seasons. Say seasons. seasons. It's not something that we created. It's something that God created. You know, you're going to have a winter. You're going to have a summer. You're going to have a fall. And uh, these, are, these are one of the ways that God gets us used to things changing and uh, reminds us to stay agile, reminds us to, to be pliable and flexible and to, uh, to plan and to prepare for the season that's coming ahead. And again, spiritually, Jericho just has a way of doing that um, in a special way, I think. I think, obviously, praying for a week straight, walking out there, and, and every day you're focused on something has something to do with it. Hearing messages preached seven days in a row uh, has something to do with it. Of course, God is going to move uh, when we set aside that kind of time. You know, I thought about uh, what, what Mary said as she was receiving the tithe and offering right now. Um, imagine even if we just gave the Lord uh, a tithe of our time when it came to any given day, right? So what would that be? 2.4 hours, right? Every day of reading or praying. You know, we, we think we have an issue with, with our financial giving. Uh, imagine if we were to give the Lord that kind of time. What we saw in seven days is God speaking loudly and clearly, God touching people's lives, God providing healing. But I think more than just the seven days, more than just the time praying, more than just the messages that were preached on a nightly basis, I feel like God was doing something special, doing something a little bit different in this season. Um, because even though we set that time aside, many of us were praying about difficult areas and difficult issues and things that we're struggling with and sin that needs to be uprooted out of our lives and areas where we need deliverance. Um, even as we look at the world that we live in right now, it seems like on a daily basis, things are getting worse um, and more volatile and more difficult and more depressing. Yet still, personally, and I think as a church, we seem to be coming into this season where God is giving us hopefulness, where God is giving us uh, something to look forward to. And I think we need to not take that for granted. In a world where a lot of people are hopeless, and a world where people don't have much to look forward to, I'm grateful for the upcoming season. You know, many of you had your kids go back to school already. My kids are going to start school tomorrow. I'm, I'm ready for some kind of shift. I'm ready for whatever it is that God has next for us. And I hope that you guys are as well. This, this month of August, here at the church, one of the things we always do is we basically shut down all of the, uh, the ministries, right? So there's no men's meeting this month. There's no women's meeting this month. Uh, the kids even shut down. The youth shut down. 
give people time with their family as summer's coming to an end to be able to focus on Jericho, focus on just the regular services and to get ready for that shifting. So uh, even as I look out today and I think about uh, how people are finishing up their summer, you know, I, I know how distracted or how easily we could be distracted. I want to encourage all of you guys uh, to uh, uh, hone in and, and focus in on the Lord because I believe he has something for you. Amen. 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 This is Hebrews chapter six, verse 17. It says, thus, God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability, immutability, excuse me, of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. The scripture tells us that Jesus is our anchor. He does not weigh us down when we long to be free. He actually stabilizes us when we flee to him for refuge, when we flee to him for hope, when we flee for, to him for security, when we flee to him for safety, right? He actually stabilizes us in the midst of the storms of this life and the storms within our soul. Right now, again, in our, in our nation and all over the world, we're seeing the storms of life on the front page. We're seeing it all over social media. We're seeing it on the news. The, uh, the world that we live in is in the middle of a storm. But it's not just the storms of this life. It's also the storms within your own individual soul that Jesus is an anchor for, that Jesus can and will stabilize you within. So I'm gonna say something, some of you might find a little controversial this morning, but if I believe that if you're alive and if you're living in these United States right now, you're in the middle of a battle, you're in the middle of a storm, and you need the anchoring presence of the Lord. Some people feel like they're not in the battle and they're not in the storm. Some people feel like it passed by them and it was really close, but it didn't really hit them. Some of us feel like, hey, I'm actually doing pretty well as, as uh, the nation is struggling. As we're struggling with, you guys know the laundry list of areas, whether it be politics, whether it be social justice, whether it be uh, COVID and sickness and health, whether it be losses of all different types, family and relationship losses, financial losses. There's so many different areas some people feel like they're, they're kind of skating through, even if it's by the skin of their teeth, that they're not in a battle, that they're not in a storm. But I'm here to tell you that all of us are in a storm. All of us are in a battle. And likewise, when it comes to your individual faith, some people here this morning might feel like you're in a pretty solid spot, feeling pretty good, right where you need to be with the Lord maybe. And others may feel like they know and it's clear that they're in a storm. But those of you who are feeling pretty good, praise God for that. However, it's still raining. <laughs> There's still a storm going on. You may feel like you've got an umbrella. You may feel like you've got your raincoat on and you're staying pretty dry and you're pretty safe, but it's still raining. There's still a storm and we need to be aware of that. So I'm not sure if we're in the beginning of this global uh, storm, national storm, your individual storm, or if it's coming to an end. But if I had to bet, if I had to guess, I would say that we're actually still somewhere in the middle of it. We've had the panic and the lashing out of, 
I can't believe we're in this storm and I've got to do something. I've got to say something. I've got to point the finger. I've got to let everybody know what the cause is and how did we get here? And we saw that when the storm hit in all those different areas, there was a lashing out from individuals, from groups, from political parties, from families. That's usually what happens when a storm hits, people lash out. Then we've been in a place now where most people are just uh, hoping for the storm to end so that we can begin the rebuilding process, get back to some type of normal life, right? Everybody keeps saying that there's going to be a new normal and, and normal of the past will never come back, but it, it doesn't really matter in that sense. What I know is that a lot of people are feeling like, man, I just want this to stop. I just want it to end. Whatever it's going to look like, whatever it's going to be, let's just let it come so that we can start rebuilding our lives, so we can start uh, reorganizing our families and our structures and our church and our worship times and all that kind of stuff. We just want it to be over. However, just because we want the storm to be over doesn't mean the end is near. <laughs> Many of us have probably realized that in our lives where we want something so bad to be finished and to be over and it's just not over. You want so bad to be out of whatever hole you're in and then you realize that, man, it's actually going to take quite a while before I'm actually out of this hole. Desiring something does not actually make it real or tangible or present. We all want it to be over, but I'm not so sure that it's the end is near. So I think my message this morning, however, is going to be fitting because we're coming out of Jericho and for where we are as the people of God in the world that we live in today. So what I'm going to be talking about is hope in the middle of the storm. Hope in the middle of the storm. The actual title of my message is Hope, Healing, and Hurricanes. <laughs> hope, say hope. hope. Say healing. healing. Say hurricanes. hurricanes. Hope, healing, and hurricanes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being God. We thank you for being sovereign. We thank you that you have provided an anchor for our souls, Lord. In the midst of the storms, you're, you're reminding us, Lord, that there are storms that winds are on their way, that rain is on its way, Lord God, that we don't have to be afraid, that we can be stable, that we can be anchored, that we can actually find hope within these storms, Lord God. Your word tells us that the rains descend on the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust, Lord. The storms are just a part of this life. Seasons are a part of this life, Lord. Suffering is a part of this life, Lord God. I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would open our eyes to see. Time and time again, you would tell us, Lord, those that have eyes, see. Those with ears, hear. This morning, we desire to be those types of believers, Lord God, that we could see what it is that you're showing us, that we could hear what it is that you're speaking to us, Lord God, that you would maybe be preparing us for the season that's on its way, Lord, but also that you would be anchoring us to endure the season that we find ourselves in, Lord God. Many of us on an individual basis this morning, Lord, know that we're in a storm. We're being beaten from the left and from the right, Lord. It feels like the rains are raining down upon us, Lord, and weighing us down. But we have hope and we have faith, Lord, that you'll bring us through, Lord God. As a nation, as a people, Lord, never before, baby, have we needed hope as much as we need it now. Never, as more, never before have we needed healing as much as we need it now, Lord God. We're grateful that today, at this moment, we find ourselves seeking you. You say that if we seek you with all of our hearts, we will find you, Lord. That if we knock, you will open to us, Lord God. 
We've come not just to do our daily service, not just to give our tithe, Lord God, not just to check that box saying that we went to church this week, Lord. We came to encounter you, the living God. Would you have your way and would you touch your people this morning? In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. amen. How many of you have seen the movie Twister? Raise your hand if you've seen it. That means you're old. Some of the young people didn't raise their hands. I was looking it up and I was like, it's, it's a classic, one of my favorite movies. But you know it's 25 years old now? Twister. Those graphics were amazing. So anyhow, there's this scene where the two main characters, they get caught in this tornado because this tornado shifts. We won't talk about why they were so close to it to begin with. However, they get caught. The, the tornado uh, shifts gears, shifts directions, and this road that they were on, all of a sudden they see this tornado coming at them and they go running to try to find safety, right? They find themselves running into a barn and when they get into the barn, they see shovels and shears and all these sharp tools and they look at each other and say, this is not the place you wanna be during a tornado. So they go running out of this, this uh, barn and they see a house. So they go running to the house and they dive underneath the house, get as close to the foundation as possible. They start taking their belts off and they wrap the belts around their waist and they wrap them around their arms. And then they find the plumbing that's in the foundation and they wrap the belts around this, this plumbing for the foundation. And all of a sudden the twister hits. It drops right down on this house. And you can imagine if you haven't seen it, the, the destruction that these tornadoes uh, bring along with them it takes this whole house the house disappears and next thing you know you see these two main characters and they're being pulled up by this tornado but because they're strapped in with this belt around their arms and around their waist their legs are up in the air and they're obviously terrified they find themselves though right in the middle of the storm right in the middle of the tornado and it's actually a safer place than anywhere else when they find themselves in the middle imagine this tornadoes all around them and their their bodies are lifted up and they can actually see everything that was around them that this tornado this storm has already picked up they see cars spinning around they see animals spinning around they see the barn that was destroyed and all these tools and everything spinning in this tornado and there they are in the middle of this tornado so that's the scene i want you to picture this morning as we go through this, this message of hope in the middle of the storm. Hope in the middle of the storm. So there's a few different types of hope. There's the hope in this case of those neighboring cities. They have a hope that the danger doesn't come near their direction, right? They get, the, they get the warning that, hey, a tornado's about to drop. There's this major storm. There's a hurricane. And then there's these people that say, well, what city is it going to land in? Right? Where's, where's this storm supposed to be? And, and these, these individuals in the movie, they find themselves right in the middle, but these neighboring cities, they're hoping, God, don't let it come this way. Don't let this storm turn and actually hit me and hit my family and hit my barn and hit my house and destroy all the things that I've built. That's one kind of hope, hoping that you don't actually go through the storm. Right? There's also the hope of, of those who evacuated, ran for the hills, right? Their hope is, look, I'm safe. I've gotten out. I got enough of a warning. I was smart enough not to say I'm just going to uh, hunker down and try to make it through this storm. I left. However, what are they hoping for? They're hoping that the damage that the storm does is not total. 
They're saying, man, even if it hits our neighborhood, even if it hits our house, I hope that it's not completely demolished and destroyed. I hope that it's something we can rebuild. I hope there's something left of what we built to be able to rebuild upon. Another kind of hope. But then there's the hope that only comes to those who are right in the middle of the storm. That home or that hope is the hope that God calls an anchor for the soul. You don't need an anchor unless you're in the middle of some type of storm, unless you don't want to be tossed to and fro, unless you're, you're there for the fight. You're, you don't need an anchor when you're a couple cities away and you're just saying, man, I hope it doesn't come this way. You don't need an anchor when you're already safe and you just left some resources and some, some belongings behind. You need an anchor for the soul when you know I'm in the middle of this storm. I'm in the middle of this battle. And if I am not rooted and stabilized, I'm going to be thrown and tossed and killed and destroyed like everything else that's not rooted and stable in Christ. Jesus is holding on to us. And I promise you, he's much more reliable than any belt that you've tried to strap yourself down with. That movie... While it was great when it came out and while I made my kids watch it and uh, we'll probably watch it again after this message, <laughs> it's not very realistic. Most of the things that happened in that movie could never ever happen, especially being saved by one of these cheap belts while you're in the middle of a tornado. It's not going to happen. However, our Savior, our Jesus, man, he can save you, he can anchor you, he can hold on to you in the middle of any storm. It doesn't matter the size of the storm. It doesn't matter maybe how prepared you wish you would have been for the storm. If you find yourself in the middle of a storm, Jesus will be a faithful anchor for you. He will not let you go. He said to his father, when he was about to be taken up, he said, all those that you've gave me, I've lost none of them. I hold them in my hand, only the son of perdition, that was his destiny. But everybody else that you've given me, I did not let go of them. No matter what they went through, no matter how up and down they were, no matter how unfaithful they were, no matter how many mistakes they made, no matter what position they found themselves in life, he said, I lost none of them. Why? Because he is an anchor for the soul. He will not let us go. So there's one more thing I want to say, and then I'll give you the point for this morning's message. I think the world and the church are realizing that we are much more connected to one another than we previously thought. I think definitely the world, but sadly the church, I think for a long time has felt like we are a bunch of individuals and we just happen to gather together under certain roofs once a week. Obviously some churches are, are better than others in this area of community, camaraderie, uh, fellowship, loving one another, uh, walking with one another. But I would say, in my opinion, overall, it's, just, it's, it's this feeling of individuality. It's what, our, it's what our nation celebrates. It's gotten into our families and into our homes where, where uh, it's even within a marriage, it's not a, it's not a marriage to becoming one. It's, it's him and her, his desires and her desires, right? His value and her value. It's the same within our families. It's in the sports that we recognize. Even right now, uh, we don't even need fans. It used to be about performing. It used to be about, about a team that you're rooting for. They're playing the NBA uh, uh, playoffs right now. Just them. Look at us on TV. We don't even need you guys. Pay for your seat online. 
But I think the world, and definitely the church, is realizing that we are actually connected. We actually need one another. We actually provide something. God, through each of us, provides something that the others need. I think we could have gone on without really understanding that or realizing it and just doing our individual thing, coming and going. But I think God maybe had some different plans for us. We saw that this last week at, at Jericho as some people began to come back and began to gather. And obviously we're doing it as safely as possible. We got masks and all these things, but you could see the look in the people's faces and in their eyes that had not gathered again yet and that were seeing their family, their brothers and sisters for the first time in months. But you could also see those who had already been gathering as they saw those people. It wasn't just like, ah, oh, we told you you needed us. It was saying, actually, no, we need you. We miss you. We love you. You are not just an individual that comes in and out of the same building and we are like ships passing in the night. We are actually connected. There's one body and Christ is the head of it. This particular storm is showing people that like never before. <clears throat> a little over a week ago, how many of you saw the explosion in, uh, in Lebanon? Almost all of us. I think it's interesting. In the past... I'm not so sure that, that people would have, would have been as, as heartbroken or moved with compassion or willing to share even something like that on Facebook. But to me, at least, it seemed like in this particular case, that wasn't this group of people from a different nation and a different culture halfway across the world. I think many of us, our hearts dropped. I think many of us looked at that and said, man, I wonder what those people felt. I wonder the fear and the anxiety that they were going through. Look at the death. Look at the destruction. And we didn't see them as foreigners or, or others. We saw them as just other men and women, other children, other people who were suffering, other people that endured something that was so horrific and unexpected. And we could, for some reason, maybe it's just me, but I felt like we could put ourselves in their shoes and see them as, uh, as yeah, like brothers and sisters, just like the church, and not as other individuals. I think something's happening in the church where, uh, and in the world where, even though what media is trying to do is, is show you how separate and divided we are, I feel like the Lord is trying to show us that we are interconnected with one another. I'm reminded of a scripture where the, where the Lord says, I have many sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that are going to become part of this fold. The way that the Lord looks at things maybe is a little bit different. I think he's trying to get us to see things the way he sees it. Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you. So what's the point? We're all in it together. <laughs> the rain and the storm is upon all of us. The church specifically cannot be a group that's standing on the outside saying, I hope it doesn't shift and come this way. <laughs> we have to understand that whether you're in the eye of the storm or on the outskirts or a city away, we are all in the storm together. How many of us, especially during this season of COVID, have been checking on our brothers and sisters, have been stopping by, have been calling, have been making sure they've got enough to eat, have been making sure that they're not just going crazy, 
making sure that they're not depressed, making sure that they have somebody to actually talk to. Many people, again, we're realizing, they built a lot of their relationships and friendships within the community of the church. And now that the churches have been closed and they're opening and closing, some people are lonely and they're isolated. But then there's others that have friends and others that have family and they're saying, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm safe, I'm outside of that storm. I hope they make it. We cannot be like that. We're all in it together. The rains come on the just and the unjust. All right, so hope, healing, and hurricanes. Let me define a hurricane for you. Webster says it's a tropical cyclone with winds of 74 miles per hour or greater that is usually accompanied by rain, thunder, and lightning. Hurricanes are basically classified or rated by the amount of damage and death that they can potentially leave, leave behind. So those of us who aren't, uh, what are they, meteorologists, right? When we turn on the news and it says category one, category three, category five, we don't really know what that means. Those categories from one to five are basically saying, this is the potential death and destruction that this hurricane can leave behind, all right? So one is just a little bit of death and destruction and five is like Armageddon, all right? Let me read to you about this scale and, and what some of the uh, specifics are. So the one to five scale is based on two factors. The highest wind speed reached for one minute within the storm, maximum sustained winds and potential property damage. A hurricane is considered a category one when max sustained winds are 74 to 95 miles per hour. It is a category two when winds are 96 to 110 miles per hour. Once wind speeds reach 111, to 129 miles per hour, it is a category three and considered a major hurricane because of the potential for significant loss of life and damage. For reference, Hurricane Katrina made landfall in Louisiana as a category three. That's 111 to 129 miles an hour. A category four hurricane has wind speeds of 130 to 156 miles per hour and catastrophic damage will occur. Hurricane Harvey made landfall in Texas as a category four. And finally, a category five hurricane has wind speeds of 157 miles per hour and above. It's the highest and most dangerous classification of a hurricane. So it would be easy to say, especially for, for us here in California, that we don't do hurricanes. <laughs> we don't do tornadoes, right? But remember, we're all in it together. We've seen these things happening, and just think about it, how easily we're disconnected. We see that happening in Texas. We see that happening in Louisiana. And many of us are, like I said earlier, man, I'm glad that that stuff doesn't shift out this way. Right? We're not going to be that way anymore. Not physically, right? Not geographically, and not spiritually. So here's the first thing I want to make clear this morning. Hurricanes are about power beyond you and power beyond me. Think about what that said. It said winds, 150 miles an hour. It said rain, torrential rain, uh, raining down on us without stopping. It said lightning and thunder. All those things have something in common. They are bigger and more powerful than you are. And no matter what you want to do about it, you can't stop it. You can't stop the wind. You can't stop the rain. You can't stop lightning and thunder for coming. If it's coming, it's just coming. All you can do is try to weather the storm.
<clears throat> in life, a lot of times, we like to think that we have control, we like to think that we have authority, we like to think that we have power, but then God does these things that remind us that we don't have power and that we don't have authority. And there are things that are outside of our control. And when we recognize that, it, again, it changes our perspective, it realigns some things in our lives and says, Lord, actually, there's probably a lot of things that are outside of my power and authority and control. It's kind of like being on a plane and you get that safety briefing and they're telling you, wear your seatbelt like this and here's the exit over the door and you've got to be able-bodied and let these people out. And, and every time they get to the part where they say, in the event of a water landing, I want you to take this seat cushion out and there's a flotation device in there. If any of you are, are like me, every time they get to that point, I'm thinking, if this plane goes down, I don't care what's in this cushion, it ain't gonna be enough. <laughs> We're gonna be going, I don't know how many miles an hour, I don't know how high, and you're telling us that we're gonna crash, and my hope, the anchor for my soul, is in this seat cushion. Unless there is a, another plane in this seat cushion, it ain't gonna work. It doesn't have what I need. That's the feeling we should get, and I'm sure people get, uh, when it comes to tornadoes and hurricanes and these storms that are unrelenting physical ones and spiritual ones, that man, I just don't have what I need. It doesn't matter where I go or where I shop or what I've stored up or what kind of basement I have, there are things in this world, there are powers beyond what I have to defend myself and to protect myself. In our lives, these storms are intended to allow, or they're intended or allowed by God to remind us about power and authority, humility and wisdom. We need storms. We need to be reminded about power and authority. Husbands and fathers need to be reminded that you may be the head of your household, but you ain't the head of everything. We need bosses. We need uh, laborers. We need uh, hierarchies. We need reminders consistently about power and about authority, about preparation and about wisdom. And some of these storms in our life come in, I believe, to remind us of some of those things. God expects you to build on the rock. We see the scriptures that talk about that. Uh, and he expects you to build with the best possible materials, right? He says that sometimes fire is going to come. And if you, built, if you build with wood, hay, and stubble, when the fire comes, that stuff's going to be burned up, right? We looked at our buildings and they have steel reinforcement, right? So that when earthquakes come, Right. When storms come against it. Right. Even when fire, they're rated to deal with those types of things. That's what God expects from you and I. It's not an opportunity to be frivolous to say, hey, there are storms in life. So it doesn't matter what we build. There's bigger things than us and, and everything's going to be destroyed. No, God says, I expect you to prepare and I expect you to have wisdom. Build with the best that you can find and build on stable foundations. That's something you hear preached here. That's something that you hear um, uh, within your families, hopefully. Right. Prepare, have wisdom. No matter who you vote for this year, though, guess what's going to happen next year? People are still going to have abortions performed. Children are still going to be trafficked. There's going to be violence in our streets. There's going to be police brutality. People are going to lose loved ones 
to accidents and people are going to lose loved ones to sickness. People are going to lose loved ones to addiction. And people are going to lose their savings. And there's going to be all other types of bad things that are going to happen next year. You know why? Because no matter what you do, <laughs> storms are still going to come. And it doesn't matter what party you put your faith in. It doesn't even matter how stable the foundation that you thought you built on. We saw it with, with all the other market crashes where people lost all their savings. They lost their retirement. Like these things are just going to happen. You know why? Because that's the world we live in. That's actually what we read in the scriptures is promised to us right now in the world that we live in. People are looking for hope in all the wrong places. But there's an anchor for our soul. Don't get me wrong, I'm not happy about the fact that those things are going to continue to happen. Like I said before, it's not an excuse to live frivolously. It's actually the, the Christian who has the right perspective that says, I know the potential of all the things that could happen, but I'm going to set my mind upon the Lord and the things of the Lord. I'm going to live my life according to his word and according to his will. And whatever happens from there, it just happens from there. One thing we can do if we know storms are coming in the movie Twister, like I told you earlier, they go running into the barn and they see the shovels and the shears and all the sharp objects. And then they turn and get out of there. They say, this is not where I want to be when the storm hits. How many of us in our own lives right now are living in a place like that and you know storms are coming? But relationally with you and your spouse, sharp objects everywhere. <laughs> with you and your kids, their education. Like it's gonna be probably the most difficult year of education potentially for any of our kids. And how many of us have prepared well for that storm that we are now in again? We got a taste of it at the end of last school year, but we're there again right now. And how many of us have prepared well and how many of us still have sharp objects everywhere? Friendships, finances, let's be wise. All right, let me get down to this hope. Let's get to the hope. I know you want to get there. <laughs> That's what I really want to talk to you about is hope and healing. Only these two things. So number one, hope in the middle of the storm. Hope in the middle of the storm. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says, it happened. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow, widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Amalek's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. 
So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. They gave him a piece of cake, of figs, and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, he, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites, in the territory which belongs to Judah in the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I'll take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, Brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has, perceived, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for all for Israel to this day. What a great story. I feel like it's been a while since we heard about David and some of his adventures. How many of you have ever found yourself in a storm and actually had to stop trying to fight it and instead start looking for God within it? Can you remember like kind of that shifting where you know you're in the storm, you know things are terrible, you know you're frustrated and you're trying to get yourself out of the situation and you're doing everything you can and then you just kind of realize, you come to that realization like, Lord, I just need you. I don't see an end to this. I don't see help in this. I don't see hope in this. God, I just need you. This is that moment where you can find hope in the middle of the storm. That's what David did. David didn't just start saying, well, how have I been prepared? What have I done in the past? What should work this time? No, he found himself at a moment where he said, you know what? I'm actually going to just seek the Lord. Yes, I'm in the storm, 
wife gone, kids gone, all my friends. In one day, he went from having everything. They came back from a victory to now he has nothing. All of his best friends have turned their back on him and they actually want to kill him. No friends, no family around. He doesn't start trying to fix it. He just says, God, how can I find you in the middle of this storm? Thank God the priest was still there. He calls the priest and he says, listen, bring me the ephod. It's like a prayer vest. It's got all these stones on it. Represents all the children of Israel. So he's not just praying for himself. He's praying for everyone that's suffering. That's where he starts. And how does he find hope in the middle of his storm? He gets a word from God. He starts asking God, what should I do? I can't believe I'm in this position. Should I pursue them or do I just stay here? Do I go into hiding from everybody that wants to kill me? And the Lord gives him a word. He says, go and pursue. You're going to get everything back. Did he get everything back already? No. Had his circumstances changed? No. Did he have new friends? No. Was his family back? No. He was still in the middle of the storm. But what does he have now? He has hope. He has hope that things are going to change. He has hope that things are going to get better. And not a hope that's contingent upon the word of a friend or a family member or a loved one or a spouse or your children. Hope that's dependent on the word of God. God spoke to him and said, pursue. You're going to get all these things back. Again, that, that movie Twister, I told you guys earlier, the safest place, which seemed crazy, was actually right in the middle of the storm. Being any, anywhere uh, on the outside of it was actually more dangerous. In the middle of it was a safer place. I think a lot of times that's how it is with God, where... If you can find yourself not focused on how big the storm is, but making sure that you're with God within that storm, you'll find yourself safer and you'll find yourself with more hope. He was in a place he never imagined he'd be. Family kidnapped. Friends abandoned him. Lost everything and chose not to fight the storm, but look for hope within it. I love that David uh, met with God there in that place just like when jesus uh when he saw his his disciples he came walking on the sea they were afraid another time he's sleeping in the in the boat and they're thinking they're gonna die why because they're in the middle of a physical storm and god meets him in the middle of that storm we sing a song there's another in the fire we don't sing a song that says lord please get me out of the fire <laughs> we don't sing a song that says lord Please don't let the fire come my direction. We sing a song that says, there's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the water holding back the sea. But we sing those songs, but do we actually live that way in our, actual, in our own individual faith? Lord, I know you're with me in the middle of this thing. Think about it. When you read through the scriptures, when Jesus shows up for people, isn't it in the middle of their storm? It's not in a safe place, and it's not to prevent the storm from coming their direction. They're in the middle of the storm. He comes upon Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is already dead. They're in the middle of a storm. A woman comes and says, raise my child. My child's already dead. She's in the middle of her storm. Lepers come to him. They're in the middle of their storm. They're not on the outside or getting ready to have leprosy. They're in the middle of it. Worst possible conditions. And he shows up in the middle of the storm. And what does he give people? He gives them hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25 says, We were saved in this hope. Say this hope. this hope. We were saved in this hope. 
But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That's the thing about hope. Sometimes God's not going to just show up and fix everything. He's going to give you a word. He's going to give you some encouragement. He's going to give you some direction that's going to spark hope in you. You can't see it yet, but you have hope that it's going to come to fruition. David had to do some things. He had to actually go back out and fight. He went out with 600 and he lost a third of them. 200 were too weak to keep going, but he had to keep going. He had a word of hope, giving him direction on what he needed to do and where he needed to go. We need to stop hoping that it doesn't get us this year. We need to stop hoping for it to end already, whatever it is that you're going through. And we need to start seeking the Lord in the middle of it. Just one word from God and you can have hope. That's what I felt more than anything um, during the week of Jericho. Those of us who were dealing with anything significant, um, it's challenging. And I forget what day it was, but I felt the Lord, I didn't hear him say it, but I felt him drop it into my heart, drop it into my spirit. Like, like hey, don't forget that you have hope. Like, it ain't always going to be this way. <laughs> There's something on the other side of this. That's actually one of the, one of the notes uh, that, that, uh, that I took. The Lord said to me, I asked him the question, you know, what, is, what does my life look like on the other side of this Jericho? And that gives me hope. You know, when that wall is gone, you know, uh, I'm thinking about it, even, even with the winds, the Bible talks a lot about the wind and the wind being the Holy Spirit and, and coming into a room um, the wind, when he's talking to, I believe, uh, Nicodemus, he says, you don't know where it comes from, but you know that you felt it and you know that it's real. And I was thinking about when you have a Jericho and the wind tries to come down through and into your life, those walls are so high, right? And they're so wide and so big that the wind literally has to go around you and go over you and you don't get that refreshing touch of the Holy Spirit. And when I began to ask God, he said, that's what your life is going to look like on the other side of this Jericho. There will be nothing blocking that wind from getting to you. Nothing blocking that spirit from coming through in your life and taking you on to the next particular place. That's what hope does. You can't see it yet, right? But you have this hope because you got a word from the Lord. Hope is the beginning of healing. Say that with me. Say hope, hope. is the beginning, the beginning of, healing. of healing. I want you to remember that. I really feel like that's from the Lord. We need hope in the middle of our storm. We need to seek him to be our anchor, something to hold us, give us stability. But it's not just to stay there. That's actually the beginning of healing. Hope is like ointment, right? We hope it works. If you cut yourself, my kids cut themselves all the time, and we put Neosporin on there. <clears throat> and what is their hope? They hope that it's soothed. They hope that it starts to heal. They hope that they start to feel better. You put a Band-Aid on something, right? And that you hope that eventually you're going to take it off and something's going to be changed. Something's going to be restored. Something's going to be healed, right? I hope that counseling works for a marriage, <laughs> right? It's not already there, but it's the beginning of that healing. If there's this marriage that's in death and, and in destruction, they come in and they want counseling, but they're saying, I hope that this counseling actually provides healing to our relationship. Hope is the beginning of the healing with our kids as they go back to school. 
They get a tutor and we say, we hope that this tutor helps my child in this particular area of their studies, right? It's the beginning of the healing and the growth and the change that's gonna happen later. So let's go there. We've got hope in the middle of the storm. He's our anchor. We know that we need to seek him. And number two, healing in the middle of the storm. I'm gonna read from 1 Kings 17. It says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows, from, flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elisha. So in this story, the storm was actually a drought, the absence of rain. We know from reading the, the scriptures that it lasted for three and a half years of no water, no rain, everything dried up. God superintends, God oversees, right? God allows at times these storms of life, again, to reveal truth about himself and to reveal truth about us to ourselves, right? I said earlier that these hurricanes and these tornadoes and these storms, it reminds us of the power of God that we can't control the wind, we can't control the water, we can't control the lightning, we can't control the thunder. These things are so powerful. But the opposite is also true. This particular time they had no rain. And again, it's like, man, we, we are great farmers and we're doing all these things and we're feeding all these people. But if the Lord turns off the water, then what? There are no crops. You're feeding no one. Everything that you prepared, everything that you built, every piece of equipment that you use, all, all of a sudden has no value because maybe we put too much faith and stock in those things and not the one that actually provided the seed to begin with and provides the water that it needs to grow. The storms of our life are about regaining perspective, church. Many of us act like we don't need God until there's no rain and there's no crops, right? And then all of a sudden, 
Oh, almighty and all-powerful one, let there be rain. Let there be food. We act like we don't need God until too much rain and too much wind comes. And then it's, oh, Lord almighty, please let us make it through this storm. These are not just physical things that God is trying to talk to us about. We all have these things going on spiritually within our lives. And the same is true. We should not wait to be crying out, oh God. So what does God do? He provides for Elijah miraculously within the drought. One thing about being a, a man or woman of God is, listen, the rains are coming on the just and the unjust, but God can and will provide for you within the storm. He tells Elijah, tell him it's not going to rain, but then I want you to go over here. There's a stream that's going to be running for a long time. Go over there. You're going to get water. I'm going to send birds. They're going to give you food for breakfast and dinner every day. Many of us have felt that even in the middle of our storm, that's what I said earlier, don't feel like you're not going through the storm. Don't feel like it missed you somehow. What we should be saying is God is actually miraculously providing for me within this storm. It didn't miss you. God is blessing you. But what about this widow? God says, not only do I send you somewhere that you can be taken care of, you're going to get food, you're going to get water. When that dries up, I'm going to send you to another city. And who's going to take care of him? The wealthiest person in the city. The people that have extra resources. No, he actually says, a widow's going to take care of you and she barely has anything. What's the point here? Just like we said earlier, we are all in it together. It doesn't matter if you have a little or if you have a lot, you are in it together with everybody else that everybody would be able to have what they need and not go without. The church doesn't need a few rich people to get saved to support it. It needs everybody to do their part. This is why God gave them the principle of the tithe. He said, it doesn't matter who you are. They would come, good Lord. And then they would lie and say, we sold everything and we gave you everything. It's like, why are you lying? It's yours. We didn't even ask you for all that. Just give your tithe like everybody else and everything will be taken care of. But if you're going to lie about what you have and what you don't have and what you're giving and what you're not giving, we're all going to suffer. We don't need a bailout. We need the scriptures. Amen. We're all in it together. That principle doesn't change. This, this widow was in the storm of her life. Think about that. We're going to bring this to a close. She is literally in the storm of her life. It's never been this bad for her. How do we know? Because she's still alive and she's about to die. That means this is the worst. She's got nothing left. She's gathering sticks to cook her last meal before she starves to death. And not just her, but she has to watch her son starve to death. She's in the middle of it. The storm of her life. And what does she get? She gets hope from God in the form of a word from God. As believers, I don't know where we get this idea that we shouldn't go through storms, but we got to get that out of our mind. As believers, we should actually be like those crazy uh, people from the Weather Channel who are reporting in the middle of the storm, right? You can find them on YouTube, all the fails where like stuff flies and hits them and takes them out. That's what the believers should be like. We should be on the ground like, this is a category five and you got to get out of the city. Make sure that you're rooted and grounded in the Lord. Make sure that you have an anchor and the wind should be hitting us and the water and our umbrella should be flying away. But believers are like running for the hills. No storms, no storms. 
Save yourselves. <laughs> we should know how to go through the storms. We should be helping others go through the storms. We should know that, hey, if you're in a storm, you're right where you can find the hope of God. Are you listening for him? Listen to what verse 13 says. It says, Elijah said to her, do not fear. She says, she says, hey, look, man, I'm in a storm and it's the worst storm. I'm about to die. My son's about to die. I'm sorry, but I can't really help you right now. He says, don't be afraid. Go and do as you said, but make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me. Afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. For thus, thus, thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. She gets hope from a word from God. Her situation hasn't changed. And if you can look at it, you can look at it both ways. Her situation actually got worse. The little bit you have, I want you to share it with somebody else. But she didn't look at it that way. What she looked at was, oh, look, I've got hope. God has made me a promise. My situation isn't better yet. I don't have more oil. I don't have more flour. I don't feel any better. But now I've got hope. God has said something to me that I'm going to be okay. Just like he said to David, you're going to recover everything. Just like he said to us, you can be forgiven of your sins and spend eternity in heaven with me. It's the word of God that actually gives us hope. And it's the word of God that's the beginning of healing. <clears throat> if our world is in a storm, and each of us is in some type of storm, how many of us are confident that we've been seeking a word from God to give us hope? Are we reading? Are we praying? Are we going to church? Are we logging on to church? Are we doing devotionals? Are we making time for worship, personal worship? This morning I thought it was great. We came in, got ready for worship, and then the guitar didn't work. Well, if this is the only worship that you're going to get all week, that probably was terrible. But if you were worshiping on your way to church, and then you're going to worship when you go home from church, and you're going to worship with your family this week, you're probably going to get a word from the Lord, and you're not dependent upon a guitar. That God can at any time say, no, nope, no electricity, no, no power cable, right? No, whatever this is that runs to the sound booth back there. We need hope and we're only going to find it here. And we're only going to find it in worship. And that's where the beginning of our healing is going to come. Verse 15 and 16 go on. This is how we know that she found hope and the beginning of her healing. Verse 15 says, She went her way, and she did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days, and the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. It's not Elijah talking, it's God speaking through Elijah. You know that she found hope. Why? Because her actions. If you have hope, you're going to make, you're going to bring him the water and you're going to make him a cake as fast as you can. Patty cake, patty cake. <laughs> right? If she didn't have any hope, if she didn't think there was any chance, she would have said, nope, made her own little cake, made her son's cake and went on and died. But God's word gave her hope. She said, man, maybe there's something to this. Here, take your cake. Let's see what happens. The healing, though, I imagine, came much slower. But healing does something 
in the life of a believer that nothing else can do. I want you to think about that for a second. If you've been healed of anything, just think about it for a minute. What it felt like, what it did for you, why God does it. This woman and her son were on their last meal before they starved to death. So just imagine what began to take place within their physical bodies as dying organs began to get nutrients for the first time in God knows how long. Think about that. Like literally try to picture it. All their organs are dying, atrophying. Every muscle is getting uh, decreased, atrophy. They have no strength, their skin and bones. Hearts barely pumping anymore. And imagine what it must have felt like as they began to eat. They began to drink. The organs that were, were dying begin to come back to life. The muscles that could barely hold them up, they begin to grow and they begin to have strength. See, if you can picture that for what happened to them over time in their physical body, that's what I meant when I said the healing of the Lord does something that nothing else can do. Think about your spirit. Think about your heart. Think about your mind. Think about your soul. And this is what God says when he gives you a word, when he gives you hope, that that same thing begins to happen in your spiritual life. Things that were dying and decaying and atrophying begin to have life surge back into them. That's what healing is. Your spiritual life begins to grow again. You begin to have strength. Things begin to work and function the way that they were intended to function. I guess it would probably be another message for another day, but it's something I think that, that we all need to learn about healing. When you look at healing in the Bible, God is not making like new people. He's just telling the body to function the way that it's supposed to function. He's telling this leper's body, your body is not supposed to be growing these things on it. Function properly the way that I intended it to. And that's healing. People are dying. He's not, he's not actually at this time, he's not providing some new life, which he's going to do later. What he's actually saying is like, no, I didn't actually intend you to die. Function how I told you to function. Live, breathe, stand up, walk, take up your bed, walk. You're not supposed to be broken like that. But it's the words of hope that come first and then that healing comes into our lives. Can you imagine your soul and your mind and your, your spirit getting that from God? Get the word, get the hope first, and then watch the healing come. Hope's the beginning of healing. We need that anchor for our soul. And I want to close with this. There's a lot of stories in the New Testament. You guys know a lot of them, like I just mentioned about Jesus, and he provides his healing. But why does he do that? First and foremost, it's confirmation that the words that he's actually speaking about the kingdom of heaven and about salvation can be trusted. God is not just healing people for the sake of saying, oh, don't you feel better? No, he would say, look, your faith has, has healed you. He'll touch you. He'll get you up. He'll stop your bleeding. He'll take the leprosy away. He'll give you eyes that see. He'll give you ears that hear. Why? So that when he tells you, that he came from heaven, he's the son of God, he's going to die for your sins, everyone is going to be resurrected, some to eternal hellfire, some to eternal bliss in heaven with God the Father, that you will believe him. That's why he's doing the healing, first and foremost, so that when he speaks, you'll believe him. That's how, what so many people said, is that we've never seen anybody do what he does, and we've never heard anybody talk like he talks. Maybe we should listen. The second reason that Jesus does all these healings is out of pure love and compassion for those who are hurting. He can't help himself. He loves you. 
He loves me. He wants to heal us. We don't have to beg. When he sees us broken, he's like, oh God, I want to help him. He's got so much love. He's got so much compassion. He's not worried about going without. He's got an endless supply of everything. So he's willing to give it freely. He loves us and that's why he heals us. You don't have to be a special case. You don't have to be on a waiting list. You don't need the perfect right type of, of blood and cells. He's got everything you need and he loves you immensely. But I want to close with a word of hope and healing from the book of Revelation instead of one of the stories about Jesus. And then we're going to pray. I'm going to read Revelation 22, 22, and we're going to stop at, uh, or excuse me, 21, 22. And I believe we're going to stop at 22, verse 3. So John is getting this vision from God about what's ahead of all of us, and he's writing it down in the book of Revelation. And in chapter 21, he says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall, be, shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be that there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. I think this is wonderful, especially to end the scriptures, to look at this word and to look at this hope that's provided for us. It says that the leaves of the tree of life are going to be for the healing of the nation. Amongst all the other things about no night and the lamb and the light and, and that he provides and people coming from all over into the, to the holy city to honor and glorify the Lord. I love the fact that he gives us this hope that one day there's going to be a healing on a global level like the world has never seen before. We can endure whatever we're going through right now because we know what's ahead of us. It's a hope that's not seen, but we endure anticipating the coming of it. In this life, we're going to suffer. There's going to be storms. There's going to be tornadoes. You're going to do everything that you're supposed to do. You're going to do everything right the way that the Lord has told you to do it, and a tornado still might come and rip it all apart. <laughs> that's the world that we live in. However, there is going to come a day where every name that's written in the Lamb's Book of Life we will meet and we will gather in heaven. He will illuminate everything for us and we will have complete healing that cannot be stolen from us. It's not in the scriptures, but I'm sure the Lord's going to tell us there's no tornadoes in heaven. <laughs> there's no hurricanes in heaven. We won't even remember the term category five. 
It's going to be a glorious, glorious day. And in the meantime, God will give us hope as an anchor for our souls to get us there. And he will give us healing that is a process to give us encouragement and a glimpse at what's ahead of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. And I just want to pray with you this morning about this hope that's an anchor for the soul. So I said it, I think, a couple of times this morning, just this idea that, you know, even for me during Jericho, it wasn't the, the walls coming down moment. It wasn't the uh, everything is just better already moment. It was the moment for me where, where God reminded me, like, listen, you are not as those that don't have hope. Things are going to change. Things are going to get better. You're not always going to live this way. One day that wall is going to be gone and that Holy Spirit, that wind is going to come rushing through this area that has not been touched by it. There's going to be transformation. There's going to be healing. All you have to do is endure. All you have to do is stand upon my word. All you have to do is wait on me. Find me in the middle of your storm. Find me in the middle of your Jericho. And this morning, that's what I want to offer to those of you who are here, those of you who are watching or listening. First and foremost, that promise, that future promise, it says is only for those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have accepted salvation, those who accepted the substitute, those who have said, yes, I am a sinner. I am hopeless on my own. I am powerless to overcome sin. I can't fix it. I can't make up for it. I can't go back and pay the price for everything that I've done. But Lord, I'm so grateful that you said that you can and that you have and that all I have to do is accept you. This is the hope. It will anchor your soul. It won't matter what's going on around you. You might be like David where everything is terrible. You've lost everything. You've lost everyone. You've made such bad mistakes that it doesn't seem like there's any hope. But David found his strength in the Lord. David began to pray and God began to speak. This morning, the Lord says to you, if you will just humble yourself, turn to me, repent of your sins, I'll forgive you. I'll provide healing. I'll give you a hope. Everything may not change in your physical life today. You may still be in a storm, but I will be in the middle of that storm with you. There will be another in the fire. There will be another in the water holding back the sea. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will then belong to me. You will be a son of God. You will be a daughter of God. And I will usher you into heaven. I will take you to that place of promise. And I will not let you go. But you've got to accept that invitation. You've got to say, yes, that's me. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I do want to be forgiven. Yes, I do believe that your word is faithful and true. I know that you've healed so that I could trust what you've said. And you say I can be saved. You say that you rose and defeated death, that I don't have to die. You say that you're going to come back for all the believers and take us to heaven. So with heads bowed, with eyes closed, if you're here in this place, and you don't have that anchor for your soul, maybe you find yourself worried all the time 
about death, worried all the time about what might happen to you. You know that you're not saved. You know that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand so I could see you? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, for those here and for any others, Lord, that are listening or watching, Lord, any who have surrendered their lives to you in this moment, Lord, Lord, would you just speak a word of hope into their lives? Would you give them a glimpse about what it's going to look like for the rest of their days here and on into heaven and into eternity? Would you begin the healing process right now, Lord? We know that you're a God that delivers. I pray right now that you break bondage in their life, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, that you loose them and set them free from things that have held them captive for far too long, Lord, that you would show your power and your authority, Lord. But I also pray, Lord, for those areas where right now you're just putting a little bit of ointment on, Lord, and that the healing is going to take time, Lord. Help them to endure. Help them to keep fighting, Lord. Help them not to give up, Lord, to trust you, to stand upon your word, just like that woman, Lord, with the little bit that she had. She trusted your word and she made that cake and she gave that water to the man of God, Lord. Let him have that kind of faith and that kind of confidence in your word this morning, Lord. For the rest of us, I want to pray one last thing and open the altars for you. If you're listening, if you're here and you feel like the storms of this life are taking you and maybe tossing you to and fro, you're waking up and feeling different from day to day and from week to week. Your joy is on this roller coaster ride of you've got joy and then you've got depression and you've got anxiety. I want to pray for you that God would show you what it means to have an anchor for your soul, steadfast and true. Not that the storm would disappear, that you would be able to see something in the middle of the storm that you've never seen before. If that's you, would you come to the altar? that we can pray over you. Hallelujah, Lord. Would you provide stability in this season, Lord God? When so many things are unstable, when so many things are confusing, Lord God, when so many of us don't know which way to go, we don't know up from down, Lord God, we know that the winds are coming and the rains are coming, Lord God. We know that there's lightnings and thunders on a spiritual level within our lives, Lord. I want to pray right now for any of you this morning. Hallelujah that would say, you need the stability of the Lord. You need an anchor for your soul. If you're stable, you're still in a storm and there's others in the storm. But if you're not, is there anybody? Or is it just me that needs the stability of the Lord this morning? I see you back there, sis. You can come if you wanna come out of there and be prayed for, you can come. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh Lord. The rains come on the just and the unjust, Lord God. Because we're believers and because we're members of your family and because we're in the house of God, it does not mean that we are exempt from storms, Lord. Lord, I pray for these precious ones here. Just for your stability, Lord. I can tell right now, Lord, that some of them have been swimming against the current, Lord. The harder they work and... and the harder they try to get back to where they know they want to be and where, where they felt before they were supposed to be, Lord God. It just isn't working. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them right now in the eye of their storm, in the middle of their storm, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself, Lord, that you would remind them that it's actually the safest place they could be because there you are. You're in the fire with them. You're in the storm with them. 
You're in the reins with them. You're on the boat with them, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, the, the, the glory, Lord. The joy of being anchored, being stabilized by you, Jesus. Bless them, Jesus. Meet their needs, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, as we close, we pray for the global storm, Lord, that the Christians would not be running for the hills, Lord, that we would endure, that we would be like lighthouses, Lord, giving some people a beacon of hope, a direction to go in, Lord God. Those who are not prepared for this season, those who are not ready for a storm, those that didn't have umbrellas or bunkers or any of those things, Lord, would they be able to spot us that we would be a beacon of hope to point them to you, to show them what life could be like in this storm with you as an anchor for their souls, Lord God. Let us be the types of believers that continue to care for each other within this storm. Remind us that we need one another, that we are connected, that we are one body, Lord, that none of us is outside of the storm. We are just being miraculously provided for by you. If we're not feeling those effects personally right now, Lord God, we want to be like that woman that cared for the man of God, Lord. We want to be like David who came back and said, it's not just those who win. It's not just those who fought. It's for everybody. Everything that the Lord does for me, he does for everyone. Everything that the Lord did for the 400, he did for the 600. God, give us a new perspective. Remind us of the right perspective. Don't let us waste this storm. Let it be the kind of storm that shifts us and prepares us for the next season, Lord. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship you.